0: Hello, I'm Doug Hallward-Dreemeyer, a partner in the Washington, D.C. office of Ropes and Gray and chair of the firm's appellate and Supreme Court practice. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Justin Florence, who previously served as Special Assistant and Associate Counsel to President Obama in the White House. And before that, served on the staff of the Senate Judiciary Committee. This is part of our Capital Insights series that examines the issues and potential regulatory and enforcement changes emanating from our nation's capital as we transition to a new political administration.
1: Thanks, Doug. I thought we might discuss the potential levers of policy change that are available to the incoming Trump administration and the new Congress. What are the opportunities for and obstacles to major legal and policy change? that we may see? And are there some big picture guidelines that will structure how change happens?
0: Sure, as a rule of thumb, I think it's fair to say that the same way that a policy was adopted is what you have to do to change that policy. So if policy was adopted through legislation, you have to go through legislation to undo it or to change it. Likewise, if you went through notice and comment rulemaking, similarly to change it, whereas more informal action such as executive orders can be undone that same way. general rule i think is that it's easier to stop something than to start it and so that's true with enforcement initiatives or uh, regulatory initiatives that might be underway um, that could be stopped whereas getting something new on the books is going to take a longer time one way to think about Um, these changes is to think about it branch by branch, I suppose. And starting with the legislature, Justin, you had worked with the Senate previously, but some might think that given that the Republicans control both houses of Congress before and do so now that there's not going to be a major change on the Hill, I suspect you have a different
1: view. I do. And that's because of the tremendous influence that the president and the administration have over the legislative process. And that starts with the State of the Union, with setting forward a budget, with testifying at legislative hearings, and central to that influence that the executive branch has is the veto. Of course, nothing can become law unless the president signs it or refrains from vetoing it. And so when there's either a veto in the wings or the threat of a veto, it really constrains what type of actions uh, Congress takes legislatively. Now, I think one thing we'll see in the very near future, because the threat of a Democratic presidential veto is gone, is use of the Congressional Review Act, which is a statute that allows Congress to roll back regulations on an expedited timeline and with a simple majority vote. That hasn't done that much work. In the prior administration, because the president would veto these measures, but the incoming president is unlikely to do so. And so I think we'll see some uses of that in the near future. Another area where we may see changes in Congress's oversight role in the last several years, Congress has focused most of its oversight attention on the Obama administration, on Hillary Clinton, on the emails. And it's unclear how much. Republican-controlled congressional committees will want to use their powers and their resources to investigate a Republican presidential administration, they may instead turn that focus to the private sector, looking at companies, individuals, NGOs, uh, for different matters. And so that's something that folks will want to be aware of, is not just what happens through legislation, but through oversight either of the private sector or of the administration.
0: Well, maybe let's now transition to looking at the executive branch uh, and agencies. I suppose it's probably very important to look at uh, many of these questions agency by agency, issue by issue. And I know that some of our colleagues have done that in other podcasts in this series. But it seems to me also helpful to think a little more generally with respect to formal rulemaking, for example that that can be very cumbersome. And we are seeing just now the Obama administration in its final days finalizing regulations that have been in the works for many years, since perhaps the beginning of the, of the second uh, administration. And so to the extent that the incoming administration has to go through that process, that would be very cumbersome. Um, one thing to note, as we come to this transition between the agencies is I would expect to see that um, the new chief of staff, Rent Priebus, would issue a memorandum similar to what we saw at the transition from the Clinton administration to Bush, With Andrew Card or from the Bush administration to President Obama with Rahm Emanuel, which is a memo that tries to freeze in place administrative action. So any regulation that's been perhaps finalized and sent to the Federal Register but not yet published would be uh, withdrawn from that, or anything that has been published but not yet gone into effect would be delayed. Uh, Both Card memo and the uh, Emanuel Memorandum did that, and I would expect to see that again in this administration. As we discussed before though, there's a lot of what agencies do that is not formal notice and comment rulemaking, uh, executive orders, or more informal guidance and policy documents. Those I would expect to see changing much more rapidly. And as you've mentioned, enforcement priorities is something that can change very rapidly especially to the extent that the government has been you know doing something affirmatively it can pull back from that pretty quickly are there areas where you expect to see that kind of change pretty quickly
1: i do think enforcement priorities is a great example there because there's no other branch of government that can quickly and easily check what the government's doing there. We saw it in the Obama administration with the immigration executive actions, although some of those drew court challenges, drew opposition from Congress. The change in prioritization and resource deployment for deportations has gone virtually unchecked. And I think the Trump administration will see in that, that shifting around resources, focusing in different areas, Uh, is something that they can do quickly and can do without other branches interfering. And it's a little bit hard to prognosticate where that may happen, but uh, it it could be within any agency focusing on particular industries, focusing on particular companies, given the way the dialogue has gone lately, any of those areas. Another thing um, that the administration can do quickly is change its litigation position. I know you worked in the Solicitor General's office and. I'm curious if you can talk more about how that process happens. Well, at least for
0: the core executive agencies, they are represented by the Department of Justice and anything on appeal, the position of the United States is adopted by the Solicitor General. And so it is certainly true that in change from one administration to another, sometimes you see policy change reflected through no longer defending perhaps a regulation or informal guidance that was challenged and struck down by a lower court. Uh, Interestingly, one of the major pieces of regulation that had been in litigation is the Clean Power Plan. Uh, And when I was in the Solicitor General's office, we did see that from one administration to another, a change in policy with respect to environmental issues. There, sometimes as is the case with the Clean Power Plan, regulations. There are interveners, private parties, that are defending the regulations who would want to continue to press that. Um, so we may actually see an issue get up to the Supreme Court about whether that is permissible. The Affordable Care Act cost-sharing subsidies are also in litigation, where the, the Congress or House of Representatives has challenged the government's policy, administration's policy, as inconsistent with the Appropriations Clause, another area where we might see the administration's position change in litigation. Sometimes it's even more direct in the transgender student litigation that's currently before the Supreme Court. That is there on a question of deference to the Department of Education's uh, interpretation of sex discrimination as including gender identity discrimination. If that policy interpretation were to change, that would obviously influence the litigation. So there are lots of ways in which the the government's position as represented by the Solicitor General can influence you know, how rapidly some of these policy changes can be made.
1: So unfortunately, that's all the time that we have today. It'll be fascinating to see how these issues play out We'll have another podcast coming soon on changes that we can expect to see in the judiciary. So thank you, Doug, for joining me in this interesting conversation. Thank you all for listening. I hope everybody will visit our newly launched Capital Insights page at www.ropesgray.com for more news and analysis on noteworthy enforcement and regulatory issues.